a Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everyone, it is the V8 Salute Podcast powered by Repco. Aaron Noonan here, Will Dale's across the table from me as we take a look at a category that lasted just five years, but I thought it was worth rewinding and mowing back over it to take a look at what it was, what it could have been, and all the elements that flowed through. Nations Cup was the figurehead part of the Pro Car Champ Series in the early 2000s through to the mid-2000s. There's a lot to cover off, Will. Uh, welcome to Sleuth Headquarters. Great to have you with me. Thank you. It's it's an exciting era to talk about with a lot of big-name drivers and exciting cars. And some really weird cars too, <laughs> let's say. Nations Cup catered for all sorts of stuff. We've done some category-specific podcasts before. We've done Super Touring. We did NASCAR Thunderdome. We've done Development Series Super 2. And this is one I've been wanting to do for a while. And We thought we'd just take the time and sit down and talk about a category that if you're a young motorsport fan now, you weren't around for. If you're of our vintage, you are right in the middle of it, right in your hitting zone. Uh, and if you're a bit older than us, you'll remember it as well because it had its roots a little earlier than when Nations Cup first appeared. So when I say Nations Cup, what first springs to mind? And please don't say soccer or football. <laughs> no, that actually was the first thing that came to mind. To be honest, what I think of when I think of Nations Cup, the that black Lamborghini. That's the mm. first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, you the, know what? In position, with you. in position 1A is a Ferrari or a Porsche or a Dodge Viper. Yeah, they're kind of the definitive... And isn't it funny that you say that, but you didn't say Monaro. Mm. And I really align that to the 24-hour, although it did race Nations Cup and we'll talk about it soon. I don't think of it springing straight to mind when you say Nations Cup, which is ironic given the thing ran for the last two years and the Monaro won the last ever Nations Cup race. Well, it's a car that's so closely associated with the Bathurst 24-hour. I mean, the, the recent documentary on the cars basically revolved around those two those two races uh, and didn't really talk too much about its his, its what it did the rest of the year. No, and it's a bit like Bathurst 1000 V Supercars or Australian Touring Car Championship. It's the thing that dwarfs uh, everything else. Uh, Nations Cup sprang out of the success of GT production because mm. in the mid-90s, I mean, we'd had the early 90s of production car racing, which if you, you probably rewind it actually back to the late 80s because we had that period where Mazda RX-7s, Mitsubishi Starions, Turbo Commodores, and then they decided to strip it back to the Commodore Falcon V6, V6, well, V6 Commodore versus the six-cylinder Falcon mm. um, of the early 90s. Then that kind of splattered. The 12-hour got up and rolling. Again, Bathurst was its own kind of thing. We saw the, the, the race start in 91, and then Mazda came, and then Porsche came, and there were BMWs and Maseratis and a GDR, and you know the supercar stuff at the top end of town got a run there. And it was the mid-90s where it became sort of super production. Mm. Ross Palmer got involved of what became uh, GT production. And really from that mid-90s onwards, when it welded itself to race as a support to super touring, it really started to grow legs, and it was from Porsches right through to Suzuki Swifts. It had a bit of everything. Well, you had all these cars that were built for the 12-hour, whether it was a Bathurst or Eastern Creek, that didn't really have anywhere else to go and race throughout the rest of the year. So the works Mazdas would turn up in BP Visco colours. You'd have those Porsches in Falcon colours that Peter Fitzgerald and Jim Richards would race. Uh, I believe if you look back far enough in the record books, you'll notice that Bradley Jones was the winner of that Super Reduction Championship 94, in 94. In the Lotus Esprit in the Larry Lotus Esprit. Perkins had put on pole at the 12 hour of the year before. Was it Jim Zarafos that ran another Esprit? Uh, I think he ran that car. Oh, okay. Modified yeah. to the 300 spec 
in 95. Um, mm. I think it had Lipton iced tea backing at some point <laughs> after that in the, in the following few years. But this is paving the way for what became Nations Cup. So it got mm. to the point where GT production, which um, uniquely got itself in a situation where it was growing. Bill West was there, who, of course, later ran the V8 Utes with Craig Denyer. Uh, it grew and it grew and it grew. But they – remember when there was the Bathurst War of the late 90s? Mm. Everyone just presumed that the GTP cars would find their way onto the two-litre Bathurst bill, whether it was part of the main race or a support. They went and did a deal with V8 Supercars and ran a three-hour Saturday production car race uh, in 1997 that stayed then for the following few years – um, they were great uh, races too. Yeah, they the old were showroom showdown. Crackers with the, the showroom showdown as mm. it was. I mean, we had that great finish in 98 between Neil Crompton and Jimmy Richards. Um, really great mixture of cars. I think, did it Greg Murphy and Steve Richards run a Vectra one year and then an Astra, I think, the next year as well as part of the, sure the class fight back uh, in those days? I think they won their class and then won the main race the yeah. next day in 99. <laughs> That's right. I think they did in, in 99. So the growth was so strong. In 99, though, I mean, we saw, I remember seeing, um, uh, I think Peter Fitzgerald had a really big crash at Phillip Island with a very young Craig Dantas from oh, memory, yes. who these days races Super Utes and he's a, a sponsorship manager at Supercars for his day job. I'm pretty sure, I've got a funny feeling whether he was in a Swift or a HSV, I can't quite remember what he was steering at that time. But anyway, um, the speed disparity was so huge between the 911 RS Club Sports and the, the front-running cars. Uh, Gary Walden had a Viper, the Swifts, the you know all the tiny tiddlers at the back. Mm. So it got to the point where they kind of, you know, the thing grew so much that they just chopped it and put the Nations Cup as the new category for 2000. And that was the top end of town, the Porsches, the Ferraris, all that type of stuff. And that left GT production... Um, to the other cars that were left around. In fact, they actually cut it in half again because there was GT performance, as you'll remember, for like Lancers and Subaru WRXs and HSV GDS, the Mustang when it turned up with John yep. Bauer, and then GT production was for kind of the more standard, smaller class, Commodore, Falcon, Magna, Swifts, Lasers, whatever else was was going on at that time. So it, it, was, a, it was a creation because of the success of GTP. Oh, for sure. And sensible to do that because you're right. Those last couple of Bathursts with the high speed, high speed GT cars up against the little tiddlers down the back and varying levels of driver skill because it was a multi driver race. Mm. Um, yeah. But what a, what a creation. Yeah. And the whole theory behind it was the Cup of Nations. So it was about the brands and where they were from. So it was the Japanese cars, Italian cars, German cars. American cars, but of course there's no Australian cars in it. And it was actually the creation, the Monaro Nations Cup car was being created for the Nations Cup and the Bathurst 24-hour just came to life after that. Mm. It wasn't built for Bathurst. That, that's a common misconception. It was being built for uh, arrival into Nations Cup as a way of putting the Monaro on a racing platform, which they couldn't do with V8 supercars. Mm. So two-door different rules. I mean, we're, we're in a different world now with two-door things in supercars, but <laughs> yes. um, that couldn't really be done. So for 2000, I was there for the debut of Nations Cup, but it wasn't a standalone Nations Cup race. It was actually uh, a combined Nations Cup GTP non-championship event at Phillip Island, the first round of the Touring Car Champ, or V8 Supercars, uh, at, in 2000. But what became the norm, every category like this kind of has the car that everyone goes for. 
Classic, Porsches classic were the bit of production car theory. Yeah, yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And clearly, Jim Richards, the standout guy, straight away in those types of cars. He'd been running a 911. Well, he'd he'd started with a 968, then had the 911 RSCS in GTP, and then got his hands on one of those new GT3 Club Sports in 2000. So, but the rollout of cars, the Ferrari 360 Modena Challenge, the Lamborghini Diablo SVR, which I agree with you is the first car that really springs to mind. Paul Stokel, the triple six car. Mm. Um, you had a bunch of Porsche Cup runners who got involved. There were odd cars here and there popping up. But it was really exciting because you just didn't, apart from the Porsches, they were a known quantity, you just didn't know what you are going to get. Well, that's the thing. And you talk about the Nations Cup. It offered a key point of difference to V8 supercars at that point in that V8 supercars, of course, Holden, Ford, very Australian-based, Australian heartland-themed uh, motor racing, whereas this, you had you, you didn't like you said you didn't know what you were getting, but all the different engine notes, all the like what is it, the V10 in the Viper, the V8 in the Ferrari, the flat, flat six, six of the Porsche. Porsche. Yep, fantastic. V12 Lambo. V12 Lambo. Um, you know there was oh, there's just a bit of everything. In fact, I, I wrote down a list of some of the oddities. We might cover them off a little bit later. But the instant other thing that springs to mind for the five years this category ran. If you reckon parity was a term that's been used a lot in supercars <laughs> over the journey, far out. Nations Cup, every week someone was bleeding, moaning, politicking. It was like the old Group C days were back, that they, uh, we've got too much weight in our car, uh, take some revs off the other mob, uh, lift their ride height up. Do Close up their things. air restrictor on oh, their Oh, the turbo. air restrictor yeah. was one that... So that, oh, I always felt so sorry for the guys at ProCar Australia because they were never, ever, ever going to keep anybody happy no matter what they tweaked or what they didn't tweak. No, and this, although it's effectively GT racing, this well and truly predates what we have now with balance of performance, BOP measures that are set down by an international body that other people can follow. They were largely doing this sort of by by feel and by what was going on and by who was in their ear the loudest. <laughs> and that's an important point. This was really an Australian category. You, you couldn't just take the rule book from GT championships around the world and apply it to here because to say that, I mean, it, it had GT origins, GT flavour, but it wasn't strictly GT racing. Mm. It was a, an Australian hybrid. It's what we do here. We do <laughs> stuff to suit ourselves. Whenever we follow the world pattern on something, we end up finding a way to Australianize it and give it a bit of a hybrid situation. So that's kind of what happened with this. So that's why you had quite often some of these cars not quite lining up in terms of the the spec or the where they raced in, in other ways around the world in different formats and, and conditions. It was all a little bit different. The one thing that wasn't different was that Jim Richards won championships. <laughs> yes. So he bowls out and wins the first three, 2000, 2001, both times in the GD3 club sport. But then in 2002, I reckon was his one of his most unlikely, of all of his championships that he ever won, that's one of the most unlikely titles that Jim won, the 2002 Nations Cup series when uh, they, they debuted the GT3 Cup car that year. So he and Fitzy, Tony Quinn, like Scott Shearman, Kevin Bell from New Zealand. But it was Jeff Morgan's Viper, Stokel's Lambo, Bow and the Ferrari. They had the speed. Jim didn't have the speed to match them, but he was so consistent. He just punched out top threes, top fours, finished every race, which you'd expect from Jim Richards in a Porsche, and then blitzed them in the last round on the Gold Coast at Indy 
and won the title, I would vote that that is his greatest championship win against the odds. And that's the thing. Like, the Porsche was the car that was pretty good everywhere, whether whereas all the others had sort of, they had their strengths, had good circuits, had bad circuits, got hit by the parity stick at other circuits. But for sure, Jim... Jim drove very hard that year, and he got the job done. Yeah, it was a it was a great win there, and it, you know there were good steerers in Nations Cup at the time. Whether it was Jim, John Bow was always around with the Ferrari team. Um, Stokel, Stokel, of course, is a Sam standout. Newman. Uh, Jeff Morgan was a star with his Viper. That was a great car that Barry Jones got a lot of development work into. The Vipers initially in Nations Cup were rubbish. They just didn't. Um, but they once didn't they got stop. that, yeah. <laughs> that the, once they the spec them up a bit in the following years, Jeff Morgan. Remember, he had the monster. Was it the monster? Not monster energy. It was a no, monster no, no. internet search. Was yeah, it? Yeah. Was, was that the silver and orange? Yeah. Livery? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was really what. competitive in 02. Really, really competitive. It was one of the the title fighting cars, but. Um, and then, of course, Paul Stokel, he started with the SVR Lamborghini, which was from the Super Trophy Series from a few years earlier overseas. Then they got their hands on that GTR spec mm. car, which was the next step up. And, uh, oh, yeah, that was that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> was that the car that was for sale relatively recently? Uh, yeah. 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 Um, in, as this episode goes to air of our podcast, there's an auction uh, with our mates at Shannon's. It, is it, whenever anyone plugs Shannon's on TV, it's our friends at Shannon's. So we have to say <laughs> uh, our friends at Shannon's. Uh, we're not contractually obliged. No, no, we're not. So we're not. Just, we don't have a yeah. deal with Shannon's yeah. at all. Um, we probably should. Let's talk to them. But, uh, yeah, uh, the car that is uh, for auctions, a uh, Lamborghini Diablo GTR that raced in Nations Cup, if my memory serves, it's the car that won the Sandown 500 with Paul Stokel and Anthony Tratt in 02 that Sam Newman raced in Nations Cup. Uh, in the following years. And Peter Hackett, I think, too, did mm. as well. So um, really, though, in the five years from 2000 to 2004, there are only two blokes who won the title. Yes. Three for Jim and two for Paul Stokel in 03 and 04. And remember, 03 is when Carrera Cup started. So Jim disappeared off to that. So he, Stokel didn't have to deal with him anymore. <laughs> um, and then in 04, of course, it was a much weaker year once the pro car wheels had fallen off a little bit and they patched together the season to be able to run and we'll, we'll cover that off um, a bit later in the podcast. But, I mean, some of the, the, the names we talked about, I mean, John Bowers a regular. I mean, the prancing horse Ferrari team that evolved into uh, PHR Scuderia, which, of course, later, um, you know, it, it formed right through and it held, you know, that history of Ferrari racing later on down the line with Mark Coffey and Marinello Motorsport hmm. and all that stuff with the 12-hour. That's all got lineage all the way back through there to uh, the Nations Cup. But the thing that springs to my mind too when I think Ferrari's and Nations Cup, Nations Cup gave us an introduction to a man named Alan Simonson. Oh, absolutely. That's when we first got to know Al. That's when he came here and what he came here to race. What bro- I don't actually remember. What brought him over here? Who brought him over here? From my memory. Because, because Denmark to Australia is an unusual career path. Yeah, from my memory there was, and I haven't sat down and delved through the grey matter for this, but from my memory there was a manager or management that were looking to put him in some racing He'd done a bit of open-wheeler racing, I think, in the UK from memory. I, I might be wrong there, but they, they found a, a home here in Australia to put him in. Um, wasn't even in the Outright Nations Cup. I think it was in Group 2. As the category evolved um, and more and more newer cars were introduced, the previous superseded cars, like the 360 Bonner Challenge and stuff like that, went into Group 2. Mm. And I, I remember he started in a Group 2 car 
And of course, everyone went, "Holy hell!" Because he was he was beating some Group One guys, like oh, because yeah. he could really really steer. He got an opportunity uh, to drive with Jamie Wincup for Gary Rogers Motorsport in the V8 Supercar Enduros that year. But it was the Nations Cup that put Alan on the map for all of us here in Australia, and he, of course, developed so many great friendships and connections and raced in the supercar enduros and um, was a regular in GT racing here for, for so many years. Of course, we, we sadly lost him at Le Mans some years ago now, but of course, Nations Cup yeah. gave us our intro to him. Of course, last weekend, as with every edition of the Bathurst 12-hour now, the Alan Simonson pole trophy. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely absolutely lives on. It was Nations Cup that uh, gave us our intro to Al. Uh, I think of some of the characters of Nations <laughs> Cup over the journeys and you can't go past Sam Newman. Oh, for sure. The AFL footy show uh, star of the time who uh, famously qualified on pole, remember, for the Sandown 500. Yeah, that was a shootout, wasn't it? Yeah. He went first or second and very the early. And the notoriously fickle Melbourne and September tipped weather. Out, tipped out. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he, he got the pole. But there's been some – I mean, there was some – it was a great – and I probably want to talk about this too – it was a great era of, of motorsport. I'm sounding like an old fogey looking back on things here. It was better in my was, day. I'm not saying it was better or worse, but it was just a but great it was pretty era. Good. Yeah. Well, the thing was, too, when Nations Cup started, it was a support category for V8 supercars. Mm. So Pro Car was still connected to V8 supercars. That took until the end of 01 to unravel, and then they went off and started doing their own events. Of course, they were still racing at the Adelaide 500, but that wasn't V8 Supercars or Vesco as it was known at the time. That wasn't their event to choose who did or didn't run there. So Procar went and created their own calendar and went off and hosted their own events, and it took them to places that didn't get V8 Supercars a lot of the time. Wakefield Park, Malala, uh, Simmons Plains at the yeah. time was off the V8 Supercar calendar. I remember going to Wakefield Park for the first, I think it was the first standalone Procar round, and there was a serious crowd there. Because it was the perfect racing product for um, country Australia. Reg- regional Regional circuits. area, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because it wasn't just that they – this is where I see so many similarities now with the ARG offering. So they hit with their categories a bunch of different stuff. So if you think about the current thing, you know, TCR – very different from Trans Am, which is very different from S5000. TCM's got that, you know, old school Aussie American feel. Um, uh, You know, they've got a bit of everything. And the same was the case with ProCar. Nations Cup was the TCR. It was the Bannerhead category. But then you had GT Performance, GT Production. V8 Brutes was the thing the punters came to see. Yes, yes. Uh, Formula 3 was uh, not owned by ProCar, but it had an alignment there. So it had an offering of a bit of everything for everyone, and it was a great, almost like a travelling circus of its own because there weren't lots of people who crossed, you know, that were at V8 supercar rounds as well. I mean, some of the drivers, John Bow is one that springs to mind, but it was it's kind of its own travelling circus, which was pretty cool. Of course, in 2003, one of the major tent poles for that circus was one Peter Brock. Well, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we have to cover the Monaro, don't we? Because, we do. I mean, that the Nations was, Cup Monaro. The Nations Cup Monaro, I remember when that was all coming together and was announced that that was what was going to happen. So that became the only car that was allowed to run an engine that didn't come with the road-going model because, remember, the was the Monaro a 5.7-litre production on the road car at the time? I, no, think, I think so. Yeah. Whatever it was, what wasn't it wasn't was litres. a 7-litre V8, <laughs> yes. No, of course. And that was Procar allowing that in. They recognised that if you're going to have a Nations Cup that's held in Australia, 
you need to have Australia in it somehow. So yes. they put this together in a way that it could join. And and everyone gets really riled. If you haven't heard our classic car podcast episode about the yellow Monaro, go back through our um, archive of um, podcasts and have a bit of a listen to it. We go a bit more in depth into that car and its history. But it wasn't a Nations Cup dominator by any stretch of the imagination. Kind of the opposite, really. It, it, it didn't win the title. It won a few races here and there with Nathan Pretty and, and Brock won a couple, although he was gifted one on the Gold Coast when Stokel and Pretty got too keen fighting one another down an A&A corner on the first lap and <laughs> both ended up headbutting the wall and letting Brock through to win. His last race win, I would think, I would think certainly on at a, um, Aussie soil. On Aussie soil. Well, in terms of that level of competition. Yeah. Well, yeah, solo win anyway because well, well, he got the 12-hour later. Yeah, the 12-hour came later, what, a month or so later hmm. in, in November. So, But the, the Monaro Nations Cup car, um, of course, debuted at the 24-hour in 02, but it's Nations Cup race series was in 03, but everyone forgets that Brock raced the yellow car at the start of 03 because the red car wasn't ready. Mm. So he drove that at Albert Park, red car comes on stream, Nathan Pretty drives yellow car, and they're teammates for the year of 2003. So when you put Peter Brock, who hasn't been full-time racing since, what, 1997? Yeah. You know, he's done target a few things in between, and he did the comeback in 2002 at Bathurst in the Team Brock car. You put him in your travelling circus to regional Australia? <laughs> Hello. People, people are going to turn up. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. And, and I think the the best that that car finished in the Championship of Nations Cup was second, Nathan Pretty in 04, mm. in the, probably the weakest season, truth be told, of, um, of any of those years. There was a third car that came on stream in 2004, a Team Brock car that, um, that James Brock largely raced. Peter did briefly drive it. Um, but he started the year in the old red, you know, 24-hour winning GRM car before mm. that was given to Ian Palmer to drive for the rest of that year. So the Monaro, although it co- caused a lot of angst and a lot of, conf- not confusion, but controversy is the word, when it came to the Nations Cup, I don't remember people being all huffy and puffy about it quite as much. It was more so Bathurst because at the end of the day, that's where it suited best. That's what it was. Effectively, it was built for Nations Cup, but really it was aimed at winning that race because that was the Once highest. Once that pro- race came on stream. Once it came on stream because yeah. that was easily the highest profile place where these cars raced. Yeah, and we talk about the familiar pillars to the fans. And I think ProCar actually had something that was a really interesting, solid offering because let's have a look at it. In 2002, three, so they've built familiarity because they run the Sandown 500, which V8 Supercars had abandoned. Mm to go off and race at Queensland Raceway. Yes. So in 2001, they link up with John Davison to re-establish the Sandown 500. That was that was the weekend Alex Zanardi lost his legs in Germany, that race. Mm. That was that weekend that that happened at the Lausitz Ring, and it was just off the back of 9-11. Oh, so that yeah. event sticks in my mind like you wouldn't believe because of all those elements and the fact that I nearly got burnt when there was a fuel fire with the John Bauer Ferrari that won the race. As an intrepid young pit lane PA reporter... Uh, with my peroxide blonded hair, it very nearly <laughs> yes. was turned white or grey or black or whatever. Happens. I'm sure you were standing there in your Motorsport News issued fire suit. No fire suit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your no. Oakley safety glasses, perhaps? Yeah, I think I had those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did. Well, at least it was the winning car in the end. Um, <laughs> yes. John Bow and uh, uh, Tom Waring was his co driver, who was a Hong Kong based British 
banker from memory. Sounds like a GT driver if yeah, ever I heard yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, per- perfect combo, perfect combo. And they ran this, and, and come 02, they had the Sandown Bathurst thing because the Sandown 500 continued, which the Lambo one that we've, we've discussed, and the Bathurst 24-hour was created. So, and then they get Peter Brock the next year. So they have this, and they lo- Sandown goes away for 03, V8's return to that race, but... They had all these familiar parts of the staple diet of Australian motorsport fans. Mm. Sandown in September, Bathurst in November, which is near enough, and Brock. Yeah. So they actually had a whole pile of pillars. Yeah. But you could tell there was some smart promotional nous behind it with the way they built it up and the way that they orchestrated those things, knowing that if you wanted to hit hit the Australian motorsport loving crowd and just even general fans, that's what you had to go and do. Well, and it, it came down to money. Mm. And from everything I've seen, everything I've heard, clearly Ross Palmer put his money where his mouth was. He oh, absolutely. backed it to the hill to the point where that's why it uh, wound up a couple of years later because when you've got a bunch of businesses and one that's not going so well, I mean, you've got to get a return commercially. Mm. And when you look over the history of our sport, when you've got a Vesco and V8 supercars, You've had Toka Australia and Super Touring as an offering. Then you've had Pro Car as an offering. Now we have AIG as an offering. That second offering is always a reflection of the sport and the size of the market here. So it takes someone pumping in a lot of private money to get it up and going to start with, but then to keep it going long term, that's really tricky. And that's yeah. what's happened each time where each of these things have kind of gone away as Nations Cup ended up doing. But- I imagine the idea is to help fund it or the plan is to fund it so it gets its feet on the ground and up and running but sadly in that case it never quite achieved a um sustainable model yeah it's got to cover it's um it's got to wipe its nose and it's got to do all the things it needs to do rather than being a black hole of of money but it did create i mean say what you will about ross palmer he backed motorsport he put his money where his mouth was he made stuff happen 24-hour race at bathurst Poor, big undertaking, lots of money. Nations Cup, build a category, sure. Uh, take on category management, a bunch of other people. And there's a bunch of people who are still in the sport, um, in the administration of the sport, who cut their teeth or who did great things at ProCar and working mm. with the Nations Cup uh, back in the period. I mean, Craig Nader is one of the best motorsport administrators in the country, works for Neil Crompton now. Where did I meet him? ProCar, back yeah. in those days. I told him the other day that we were going to do this episode of the podcast and he lit up on the phone straight <laughs> away with some of the memories of, of Nations Cup and stuff like that. So I'm, Anything I'm, we can share. Oh, no, just yeah. how great it was as a touring circus and some of the, the hijinks and the fun and the, the arguments and the debates and all that sort of stuff that went on back in the day, um, which you know, you'll find in any category of, of any type of thing. Hey, before we get into the next part of Nations Cup of this conversation, Will, themotorsporttrader.com.au, get on board, jump on the website. They're keeping your motorsport memories alive. I'm not sure if they've got any Nations Cup car parts or pro car associated memorabilia, but um, head to the website, themotorsporttrader.com.au. Luke, who runs it, uh, has been a little bit ill lately. In fact, he's been quite ill lately. He's been laid up a little bit. He's back on deck, keen to get back into it with a bunch of cool memorabilia, car parts, race suits, all sorts. Check out the website and have a bit of a look and you might find something very interesting to you. Now, speaking of interesting, Will, mm-hmm. there was some weird shit in Nations Cup, truth be told. <laughs> yeah. So I like that they didn't mind having a crack at doing stuff differently. Oh, for sure. So in 2002, this rings 
solid in my brain. So yours truly 20 years ago this year was the on-track commentator for Nations Cup at all the rounds. Oh, there you go. So I remember very well when they decided to wheel out a radical qualifying format called the Top 8 Eliminator. Mm-hmm. It lasted two rounds. <laughs> <laughs> so the premise was Like a, a race-off, basically? It was a race-off. Yeah. It, it was seventh fastest qualifier versus eighth. On the track, rolling start, because that's what Nations Cup was at the time, um, flying lap, first back to the line stays on. So then, you know, if the seventh fastest car was, you know, first back, then they'd send out the sixth fastest qualifier to go up against them. And then the same thing would happen all the way through to the fastest car from qualifying competing the Eliminator. But the problem was because the cars were so different and some cars had just great acceleration off the line, Mm. you know, bloke in a Porsche is not going to be able to go with Paul Stokel's Lambo and he's got a lap to pass him. Yes. So... um, I didn't mind the format. On paper, it was good, but it didn't quite work out, and it got scrapped pretty quickly. I've thought about this format an awful lot, probably more than more than you would expect over the years. Um, mainly, I'd be interested to see supercars try something similar to this. Not quite the exact same model, but like a bracket style shootout where it's two cars, two cars against each other for a single lap. Fastest one progresses, get a new set of tires each time. Oh, geez, how end. long will that take? Couldn't take long. Couldn't take longer than some of the. Uh, couldn't take longer and be more confusing than some of the other qualifying formats we've had in recent well, years. They do have an amazing ability to make it tricky and difficult and give you an ice cream headache to this, understand. This is true. Qualifying, yeah. The yeah. other reason this format has stuck in my head is mm. I've I never actually watched one play out. But well, you, you blink and you missed them because yeah. I think it was um, Simmons or- Plains where the first one was and, and Oren Park, Park was the, the other next one. one. Yeah. It must have been an. Report on Oren Park that I was reading. It might have, it might possibly have been your your handiwork. Oh, potentially, potentially. But the thing that stood out to me from this written description of it was that for the um, last phase of the Eliminator, first versus second, um, they played over the PA system um, the Kenny Loggins song "Danger Zone" <laughs> from Top Gun <laughs> as the cars took that. off, <laughs> which I thought that that's well, rather that's, clever. That is appropriate given that this year. 20 years on, the next Top Gear, uh, top, top Gun, top gun. Saying, the next Top Gun movie's out. Mm. Like by the time this podcast drops, it's not far away from hitting the cinema, I don't think. And no. by the way, we're not on a deal with the Top Gun movie franchise either or Shannon's, but we're just, um, <laughs> yes. it seems like we're plugging all the stuff that. We've got to get back to around. plugging the people. Yeah, who yeah, are. yeah. Don't yeah. worry, we plug plenty of the people who support yeah. us. The motorsporttrader.com.au, the National Motor Racing Museum, uh, Repco, you name it, we'll plug it. Uh, you know, they're in our world. We'll yes. look after them. Very good, good friends of ours. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Hey, speaking of other things that happened that were a little weird, do you remember the Nations Cup race that wasn't on the Gold Coast? Yes, yeah. Of all reasons for a motor race to get canned, um, bomb threat is an, is, <laughs> well, is an well, unusual it wasn't a threat. It was a bomb scare. Oh, no apologies. one dialed through a threat. But it's who I think it was 2003, the mm. last race, which would have decided the title. Or I can't remember if anyone was going to beat Paul Stokel that year, but there were probably a few positions up for grabs anyway. 
I think the cars got to the point of rolling out on the track and then they got canned. And there was all sorts of theories that this was... Because at the time, by 2003, Procar and Avesco, not matey-matey, but, of course, the Gold Coast Indy wasn't supercars event at the time. So both V8 supercars and the Procar categories were, um, you know, supplying themselves to the promoter at the time. So, yeah, basically it turned out that from my memory... At the north end of the track, there was a black briefcase full of electronic gear. I can't remember if a TV person had left it there or if it was a team or something like that. Mm. Something It wasn't a bomb. It wasn't yeah. a bomb. But it had been left unattended under a grandstand and instantly that got everyone pretty heavy-jeebie to the point where the area was cleared. The race that was about to start on track was stopped and or didn't even get going and the cars got funneled back and, of course, the way the event schedule was. So I've heard of races being canned for all sorts of reasons. Weather usually is the one that yes. springs to mind. But a bomb scare is kind of it's kind of appropriate for Nations Cup and some of the hilarity and strangeness that went on in that category along the journey. And I think anyone who – I think Ross Palmer, from my memory, and was on the warpath that there was a jihad against, you know, Nations Cup and Pro Car, but I think it would have happened no matter what category was on the track at the time if someone had found a um, – a black briefcase. I think there was even threats of legal action at the time. I can't remember if that was followed through on, but well, especially especially you remember the climate at the time. It was less than two years after nine eleven. There yeah. was a lot going on, and yeah. yeah, that sort of thing. Oh, less than a year after the Bali bombing as mm. well. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, there was a, a feeling of of that sort of stuff. But um, we mentioned before about Procar. So remember that they so the first. Standalone pro car event, I think from memory, was at the end of 2001, they had their last round at Oran Park. Mm. And that was the first one. This is where the television gets interesting. So previously it was part of Trackside on Channel 10 with Greg Rust and Mark Osler and um, Craig Denyer and, and that Grant type. Grant Denyer? Yeah, I think Grant was popping up about then. Um, wasn't he getting his hair cut on TV um, with during just one of cuts the, Mazda during one of the um, during one of the showroom showdowns, yes, <laughs> he sure was. He hasn't got any better. Actually, I think we talked about that on the Grant Denyer pod a couple of years ago. Mm. If you haven't heard it um, with Grant, have a listen because it was a, a pile of fun to do. But um, so clearly, the end of 01, the Avesco Pro Car go right. We're going off to do our own thing. So the television, they do it with AVE, the Sydney-based production company. In fact, I think at some point maybe Procar or Ross Palmer maybe acquired a, a portion of AVE at some point. But AVE did the television moving forward from 02 onwards. So it was on SBS in 02, Channel 7 in 03, and Channel 9 in 04 with Daryl Eastlake commentating, yes. which a lot of people forget. Um, but there was hours and hours of programming that they created out of Nations Cup, GTP, Brutes, Formula 3, everything that went with it, there were hours and hours and hours of this stuff and Nations Cup was right at the, the forefront of it. If you had to pick, though, which year's the best year of Nations Cup? Ooh. It can't be 04. It can't be 04. It's got to be a year with Richo in it too, though, I feel. 02? Yeah, I think so. Good fight. Bauer, Richards, Morgan, Stokel, four different types of cars, mm. four very experienced fast drivers. Um, I mean, that's peak, with, with the exception of no Monaro, that is kind mm. of peak Nations Cup right yeah, there. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, the, the first year was pretty good too. The, the Ferraris with Mark Noski, 
Um, the Lambo was there. The Porsches were there. Uh, there was a lot of variety in that mm. early year with – there were Vipers. There was briefly that Jaguar XKR. There was a BMW Roadster. There was um, Ian Palmer had that Brabham Honda NSX. Ah, yes. Um, which carried on, and he still got it, by the way. A lot of people ask <laughs> about that car. Uh, but they were never competitive. They were kind of the sideshow. The Vipers didn't have enough brakes. The But it was, it was the Porsche. Murray Carter have a Corvette Murray as well. Murray Carter's Corvette was yeah. in the Nations Cup. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um there was a bit later the Maserati Trofeo. Remember those? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, they were yeah. a sweet-sounding car. They were pretty cool. Um, a TVR Shamira popped up at one stage briefly, I recall, as well. Hmm. Um, what else was there? Oh, the Bud Mustangs from GTP got uh, converted yes. and ran as Group 2. Nations Cup cars with sequentials. I heard a little rumour that maybe one of those has sold recently, hmm. um, which would be of interest. So you had some really rare, unique cars that were popping up but there was only ever a core of a certain number that were the really competitive ones at the front of the field yes and basically you had to have paul stokel in a in a lambo or john bow in one of the many cars that he put his backside in <laughs> well, well that year that we talked about before was it 2002 i mean he was a ferrari guy um maybe it was the fo- I think it, it was, was the following year. It was the next yeah. year wasn't it? he drove the ferraris there was an issue. Uh, if he used Cricky's Viper at one of the rounds, yep, and I think he ran a Porsche on the Gold, Gold Coast, Coast. I think, I was, I think it was his first race in a Porsche. And as JB told us on one of his visits to the V8 Sleuth podcast, loves Porsches, but had never had a chance to race one <laughs> until then. <laughs> He's owned a few at his time on the road, mm. but uh, yeah, there was that unique situation where he ended up in a few different cars to stay in the championship fight. Remember, he drove the BMW at the 24-hour as well in 2003. Oh, yes. So um, Prancing Horse, which became PHR, PHR Scuderia. Hard to remember who. Oh, they had a few different names across the, the journey of, of <laughs> yes. time. But there was a lot of gentleman drivers that really were the backbone of Nations Cup, like so many of these GT-based categories. So there was, you know, I think of guys like Steve Beards who drove for the Prancing Horse team. Scott Sheeman was a Porsche racer. Uh, there was a lot of really great enthusiast racers who underpin this category. And sometimes they went down the pathway with the unique cars that just never had the development work to be able to take on the big guns, but it was cool to have the variety. And, and there was always a bit of news floating around as to, oh, there's a bit of secret squirrel chat going on that someone's looking at bringing in something from the UK or mm. seeing if they can get this approved on the list of of cars. But, I mean, it stepped up in 02 as well because the new Lambo came, the Cup car Porsche came, and the Ferrari um, Michelotto came. Ah, the 360 yes. NGT car, which everyone forgets, Ryan Briscoe raced one at the Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park. Remember oh, I, yeah, I very much remember that because I remember all the hype around Ryan Briscoe at the time because he was on the verge of either on the verge of or had been tabbed by Toyota at that point. He'd as been tabbed. He yeah, was a test drive driver. development program. Yeah, um, and I remember him racing that that Ferrari, and I'm pretty sure he bent it as well. I think he bounced on it on the Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He did too. He did too. Uh, but the game kept stepping up with the cars. And I reckon that the car that, if you stop and think about it, you'll go, ah, yeah. Ferrari was the, a constant right through. The 360 Modena Challenge that had the, you know, oh, wow, it's got paddles, um, <laughs> you know, which became pretty normal after yeah. that. Then the Michelotto came. Hmm. But for 2004, Alan Simonson was driving the Green Coopers 550 Maranello Ferrari. Yeah, wasn't that thing a weapon? Oh, 
It had been an American Le Mans series car, which um, had that screaming, beautiful... I mean, it had to be toned down a little bit to the Nations Cup regulations. Mm. But I remember vividly now that we talk about this, going and looking up close with Alan and Mark Coffey at that car at the team's base in Richmond at the time. I've got the photos. I I think I did a story Mm. for Motor Racing Australia, the Chevron magazine. Um, I'll have the digital – I took photos of my digital camera. It was an amazing car. It sounded amazing. But, of course, it didn't really run for very long because Nations Cup, what, two rounds or so into 2004 fell apart. Yeah, which was a shame because, like, more and more interesting cars like that were coming – onto the market in GT racing around the world. And it would have been fantastic. Like you think of that BMW, you mentioned the race in the 12 hour. It would have been great to see that out there. Oh, the 24 hour. The tw- sorry, the, yeah, in the yeah, 24 hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That came from America as well. Yeah, yeah. It would have been fantastic to see cars like that out there, but alas, that didn't quite work out. Yeah. And you can't help but wonder what could have been of mm. Nations Cup of where it might have ended up in the, the years following had it had it kept going. But um, I reckon there's there are a few of those cars that are still around. That BMW that, it was a 24-hour car. It's around. It's mm. in Australia. Uh, last I heard, there was anyway. Um, Ian Palmer still got his Honda NSX that he ran in GT um, in the years after that. Um, I'd love to know where that Jaguar ended up, that Bob Thorne race that Mark Trenouth put together. That was very early on in the piece. I am. Bob Thorne, super cheap auto CEO at that point. Yeah, that's right. He was on all the ads and yeah. raced a bit of V8s and, and all that stuff. Um, oh, the Moslers. Remember they raced in the 24 hour? There was going yeah, to be some of those yeah, yeah. Nations Cup, but I think that all fell apart. And from my memory, no one actually raced one in the actual Nations Cup category. Mm. But there's so many different parts to all this. And we talked so much about the 24 hour because it was the, the Bannerhead cars were the Nations Cup type cars. Mm. But Nations Cup did race at Bathurst um, by itself a round of its championship in 2000 at that wet Bathurst 1000. Weekend, they were oh, a, a totally sprint race support category. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they ran at the uh, race of a thousand years in a combined GTP Nations Cup um, field. Uh, I mean, even on the weekend of the Sandown Five Hundred, the Nations Cup cars were the Bannerhead cars in the Five Hundred. But some of them also raced in the Nations Cup round that was held the same weekend. Oh, wow. With the main race on the Saturday afternoon, Jim Richards he ran his own car in the championship, but co-drove with Tony Quinn in Tony's car for the 500k race. So you had all these little unique elements along the way that um, really make some memories of of Nations Cup. But I reckon there's probably a, a way somewhere in the future we could get a, an exhibition going mm. at the National Motor Racing Museum at Mount Panorama of some of these cars because the Lambos, some of them are around, the SVR, uh, the GDR that you mentioned earlier. Yep. Um, there's probably a couple of those Ferraris floating around. There were so many that surely uh, one's around. around. Yeah. yeah. Um, Jimmy's Nations Cup uh, winning 02 Porsche is is still around, that cup mm. car that's around. So there's a pile of stuff. And if you're listening and you, you, you competed in Nations Cup or you, you have a car that competed in Nations Cup, love to hear from you. Drop yeah. us a line. Um, through our website, there's a contact us page on v8sleuth.com.au. We'd love to know it because I'm sure there's some quirky stuff we've forgotten about that someone will point out as to where it's popped up and what it might be. But if we could get to a, a thing going at the museum, I reckon that'd be cool. That'd be mm. a great exhibition of funky, exotic cars. We'll get Brad onto it. Brad Owen, he's the man. He's mm. the uh, coordinator at the museum. 
don't worry, he'll have had 50 people after this podcast ring him. And <laughs> so when's he, the exhibitions? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. Should be good. But by the way, um, they are great friends of ours, the National Motor Racing Museum. They're open six days a week. They're at Mount Panorama Bathurst, not open on Tuesdays. I say it every pod, but don't go on a Tuesday. The doors won't open. Gives them a chance to just, um, you know, put a new exhibition in, take a car out, put a <laughs> yes. car in. Got to give them a little bit of a break to get all that stuff done. Uh, if you want to know the opening times and a bit more details, go to the Museum's Bathurst website or the National Motor Racing Museum's Facebook page. They are uh, rippers there, great group of people, and uh, loved being there last weekend at the 12 hour as well to see what is in there. If you haven't been for a while, worth going along because there's some different stuff in there too. And please do not abuse the new curbs that they have put out in Saw front that. of the car park. <laughs> Do not overuse them. You will uh, get booked. Yes, you don't want to scuff the new paint, that's no. for sure. Um, in, in the area outside the museum, they've actually installed some curbing to give it that racy feel <laughs> yes. in the car park, which which I like. What I didn't like was early 2004. So the news came through, Will, that um, I think we raced at the Adelaide 500 where the pro car categories had competed, and then the news came through that she was all over. Yeah. Um, basically, pro car was going to shut up shop, the Palmer Group was going to stop funding it, um, the sheer cost of doing all of that, the 24 hours, I mean, sponsoring cars, running cars, putting on the racing, just got to the point where they just couldn't do it anymore. And it left, and like you think of the categories that were involved that now all of a sudden had nowhere to go or nothing to do, potentially, it, it was a lot. Well, it, it was a big story. It left a yeah, big it hole. A, it was a really big story at the time because you had solid competitor groups. It wasn't like each category had eight cars. Mm. I mean, Brutes was pumping. Like, yeah. it was really solid. Uh, GTP, whether it was the production or performance, always had solid fields. Nations Cup had been a bit weaker to start 04 because, of course, by that stage, Carrera Cup was up and going, so most Porsche people were overdoing that. Mm. Um, but there was a real case of what are we going to do now? Yeah. But but to Peter, Peter Boylan was one of the main people in, I think they sort of called it pro teams from memory. Pee Wee Siddle, who ran those V-Dub Golfs in GTP, uh, a lot of people bound together to keep it on track to at least salvage a season. Yeah. And they still put on more rounds and more events that the competitors competed at. And then eventually um, a bunch of the categories found new life in new ways with new category management arrangements and things like that. But it was... It was really sad because it actually splintered apart what had been the pro car group for quite some years and Nations Cup had been at the forefront of that since 2000. So um, it was, I mean, I remember that there was a round at Sandown, I think in the aftermath of the collapse, there was one at uh, Winton, which was bitterly cold. Um, Winton in June, bitterly cold. Who'd have seen that one coming? Uh, Wakefield Park, the last round was at Malala in September of 04. It's probably uh, Oran Park, I think, had a round there somewhere along the line too from memory. But it all came down at Malala that year, the final Nations Cup race. It had been a year where there were two Lambos with Stokel and Hackett, James Brock's Monaro, Nathan Pretty's Monaro, Dave Stevens in a Porsche GT2, um, some, you know, a bit of a smattering of Group 2 cars. It was a pretty small field. And it was a shame that it, it wound up as it did. But what do you reckon it could have been had it gone on? Because it was the perfect ground for manufacturers to get involved, which they did later on with GTs and customer-style racing. But it had a Bathurst. It had television coverage, which, of course, that was part of what had to be paid for too. Well, this is the other thing. With the television coverage, how many of their races actually were shown live on television? Ah, see, that's a very good point. There can't have been many. 
24-hour. Yep. Which wasn't obviously full, all of it, but yes. it was a fair chunk. Everything else is post-produced. Yeah. It was all post-produced on – oh, the Sandown 500s were live yep. on – well, the second one was live on SBS in 02, but in 01 it was part of Trackside, post-produced a week or two later. But, yeah, otherwise all that other stuff was all post-produced. So if you had to, so if you wanted to see these cars race live, you actually had to, you go, had to go and go. see them. Yeah, it's a great point you make. And before socials, before streaming coverage, before any of that stuff. And, of course, on the supercar side, all their supports outside of Bathurst, they were all Trackside you know, hmm. a week or two later. So they were all post-produced as well. It's not like ProCar was doing it and the V8 stuff wasn't. That's what it was at the time 20 years ago in the landscape of broadcasting. So um, that probably helped those crowd numbers at some of those rounds um, but then hurt maybe in terms of the sponsorship. Hmm. But the reality was Channel 10 were embedded with V8s. So unless you could get a network, like say seven, who did the twenty four hours and yeah. the two thousand three season, to get really excited and invest in it rather than just take a tape and stick it on TV, um, that was always going to be be tricky. But yeah, I, I do wonder sometimes what it could have been had it carried on. But it, how do do you think it would have gone better, survived longer, lasted, and prospered better if it had stayed on the V eight supercars category bill? Oh, that's an impossible one to guess because it just never was going to last because of the relationship that was going on there. Mm. And I think they needed to spread their wings to do their own thing. I really reckon that there's still room and opportunity for motorsport to go to the regional areas. For sure. And that was one of the secrets of the Pro Car Series, that it went to Simmons when V8s didn't. It went to Wakefield Park when... It was Development only, Series yeah. was the only thing that went there. It went to Malala, which had been abandoned by V8s, and DVS was the only thing that was going there. So they went to some of these tracks that the championship had moved on by, mm. and particularly from a, a regional perspective, um, you know, that's a big event in a regional area. When Absolutely. You, when you took a Nations Cup and if you had a Brock and you had a Bow and, you know, some cool exotic cars and some Brutes and, you know. You had brutes a really, were a huge yeah, selling point. a great flavour of of all sorts of stuff. And, um, of course, what flowed out of it was the the Australian GT Championship for 2005 where basically everything that ran in 04 just about was eligible bar the Monaro. Yes, which wasn't really eligible for anything anymore. Sports sedans maybe after that. Mm. but um, So that was, well, reborn because Australian GT had been a brand or a championship with cams earlier on in history. Mm. Um, and that incorporated the Porsche Drivers' Challenge, which was the old Porsche Cup because Carrera Cup had been the, the new thing that the top superseded tier. it. Correct. So in 2005, and that carries on these days, it flows through to the GT World Challenge Australia. It has its roots back in the ashes of Nations Cup from mm. the end of 2004 into 2005. So a lot of people from Nations Cup, are around in various paddocks. A lot of the cars are around, uh, whether it be in Australia or overseas. It was a really interesting, really cool time of the sport where that we have so much parity and so many parity categories in terms of everyone's got the same stuff. You yes. know, Carrera Cup, same. Supercars is a parity formula. Um, you know, spec or it's one like on one. Specs. You know, yeah. yeah. But you had this hotbed of. Um, if you if you went out and got a certain cool car and you lobbied it right, or if you you know, you, you could run some some pretty cool stuff in a way that you probably really can't now because of the way that things are. You know, even GT racing, we run under the GT three 
formula that is a worldwide formula, whether it's the tech specs, the BOP, the um, the driver seedings and rulings and all that sort of stuff. Nations Cup, she was Australian Nations Cup, mate. It was kind of whatever we said goes. And uh, it probably caused more headaches than not. Yes. But looking back on it now, which we can, it was a pretty cool little part of the sport. And I think it's important that we keep the history of, of what Nations Cup was because there's a lot of people who contribute a lot to it and it's something that's pretty cool and we're sitting here talking about it some, you know, what is it, 18 Almost years 20 after years later, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a fantastic category and offered a fantastic point of difference to what was what else was around in the Australian motorsport landscape at the time. Who was your man of Nations Cup? Who is the standout guy? I've got one. Probably Stokel. Yeah, it's got to be Stokel. Yeah. He was there the whole way through. He won two titles. He won the Sandown 500. He won- I haven't sat down and done the Nations Cup stats to know who won the most races, but I reckon if you did it, he would be the guy that won the more yeah. uh, most of anyone because he was there. The whole way through, um, there were a few rounds that that team missed along the way. A couple of times they cracked it with, <laughs> with the um, <laughs> restrictions that were placed on the car, and they uh, and they jumped out of the series there for a little time. But you know they ran multiple cars. Um, but I think Stokel was the man. If you had to put a Bannerhead guy across Nations Cup, and I think he'd be a great guy to get on the podcast. I was I just saw, thinking that earlier in the year at Philip he's been doing some GT racing in an Audi, so he's carrying on that. GT style of racing in, in what he's been doing in, in more recent times. Yeah. Is he Queensland based? Sure is. Yeah. We'll have to get you up to Queensland to go to have a chat to I, a few I, I people. Really I really think. think I need to get on a plane with the recording equipment and chuck a lap around up there. But uh, what what was the, the standout car for you of Nations Cup and what was the, the shitbox car? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be unkind to Ian Palmer's um it did break sex, down but a lot, it, 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 it it they got it going later on pretty good in the yeah, GT era. Which though. which you always which I always forget, but yeah, in its nation cup era it, it was not it was not the um the paragon of reliability and speed <laughs> that it may otherwise have been. Um it's hard to go past the Lambo or the Ferrari five fifty. Yeah, that 550 was a pretty weapon piece of kit. Yeah. Um, sounded good, looked good, and was driven by a pretty good dude as well. So, But I, I really reckon the Michelotto Ferrari. When that came yeah, along, that's a good call. That, that had a – have I told you my Michelotto Ferrari story? Is this where you had to go collect a rear wing and yes, take it, it to is. Philip Island? Have I yeah. told this story in the podcast Th- This before? is in episode one of the podcast <laughs> with JB because the rear wing was for him. <laughs> Correct, because um, at the time – um, they had flown a rear wing in from Michelotto in Italy. It landed at the airport in Melbourne at Tullamarine and they were testing at Phillip Island and I was in Tullamarine that day picking up a Honda press car at Tullamarine just around the corner from the airport and was coming to Phillip Island to do a story about the team's pre, I think it was Sandown test from memory, Sandown 500. Hmm. And they said, well, if you're in Tullamarine, <laughs> we need you to do a little favour for us. Oh, so around to the freight company, I went into the through the back window of this. Oh, was it a hatch? It was a Honda Integra Type R. Oh yeah, okay. Um, so this Michelotto Ferrari was uh, rear wing was wedged in through the back window, <laughs> front seat in the um, forward position to get yeah, it all the way in. Yeah, I think from memory, it was diagonally sitting through, yeah. <laughs> um, which made for an awkward drive down to Phillip Island. But um, that is the time that I helped deliver a Michelotto Nations Cup uh, rear wing for a Ferrari to Phillip <laughs> Island. So. That's my little Nations uh, Cup story of uh, hands-on involvement. Well, actually, actually, I went for a ride with Stokel. Oh, really? In the Lambo? In the Lambo at Wakefield Park. Oh, jeez. Which was 
quite a ride. <laughs> I think that was 2002 off the top of my head. But that remember that that car had, at the time it was like, whoa, that's amazing. It had the camera out the back mm. because you couldn't see out the back of it through the mirror. Oh, yes. So they had a camera there with a screen inside the cockpit. So I just remember watching the screen. <laughs> for the I'm like, this is cool. Of course, now everybody GT race car just about's got them and it's kind of pretty norm. But back at the time, that was pretty unique and pretty different. And distracting so, for a passenger apparently. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I just remember that as we're about to wrap this up that I went for a ride in what we both probably would describe as the car of cars of the nation's cup back yeah. in the day. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. It's funny what you forget in 20 years. It <laughs> yes. slides in one ear and goes out the other over time. But, uh, yeah, Nations Cup, cool category. Loved it. Loved um, coming up with some of the memories and going down memory lane. If you've got any of the cars, if you've got any of your thoughts of your own, love to hear from you. Get in touch with us via the website or via our socials. Uh, you know how to do it. Um, and, yeah, let us know. Um, you never know what we might find when we put a bit of a call out for these sorts of things. We do tend to, t- tend to turn up some interesting mm, we things. Do. Yeah, we do, we do. Um, that's us done for this podcast uh, and our look back at the celebration of what was the Australian Nations Cup Championship. Uh, next week, Tuesday, well, every Tuesday, really, the Castro Motorsport News podcast with Andrew Van Leeuwen and Stefan Bartholomeus. The V8 Salute podcast back every Wednesday and Rep Coast Supercars Weekly regularly on a Thursday with the latest and greatest in supercars, news, news notes and quotes. Anyway, that's us done. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Aaron. You weren't ready for this. I was not. (laughs) Thanks again for listening, everybody. We love bringing you our passion for motorsport on the V8 Salute Podcast, powered by Repco. We will chat to you again, same time, next week.